Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite, sound is everything. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Wanasek, and Eyal Levy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Joey Sturges Forum Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Al's not with us right now. He's probably maybe stuck in traffic. I don't know. What do you think? We'll find him. <laughs> we'll, we'll find him. He's he's easy to find. We have a special guest with us today, Johnny Minardi. I'd like to welcome you onto the show. How you doing, Johnny? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. We are awesome. Good. <laughs> really Good. excited to be talking to you. Cool. Our first A and R guy on the show. There you go. I'm blessed. <laughs> well, well, not only that, but you manage producers, correct? I certainly do. I manage a, a whole hell of a lot of guys that I. Uh, have worked with for somewhat over the past five to ten years and some over the past five to ten weeks. So a, good, a nice slew of them. Sweet. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of the MO about yourself and let everybody know where you came from and what you do. Right. I am um, born and raised in Chicago. I started out in high school starting my own label, worked with a bunch of cool bands like The Academy Is and Gatsby's American Dream. Moved down to Florida, worked at Feel by Ramen for eight years. Feel by Ramen in Atlantic, worked with a bunch of amazing bands there, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, Paramore, you name it. It was a really fun time to be there and see it all work from the inside and help out with it. And 2012, came back to Chicago and started a management company for all of the producers and mixers that I worked with while at Field by Ramen. And started representing them because I was very friendly with them. They all needed a little help, and I just really wanted to put them all together and make sure their careers were going in the right path. And about six months ago, started working at Equal Vision Records, who I've had a long-standing friendship with while I was at the other labels and all this other stuff. And I just love the label and worked out to where I can go back into a and ring after three years of being away. And also in the moment, working on a website called Noise Creators, which will be a producer marketplace. So any band, label, anyone can go to, learn about, hopefully book and, you know, just get to know these producers and help educate because I do feel like it's a weird taboo thing and there's a curtain up still. So I kind of want to help pull that down and educate these bands on who's doing killer work, much like yourselves. That's awesome. Let me just start off by asking you a, what I consider to be a good question, um, because I think a lot of people are still confused about this. So if you don't mind, would you please elaborate on what an A&R person actually does and what artist development actually is? Absolutely. So you're going to get different answers from anyone, but what it means to me is, you know, I kind of fell into it in a way, not even knowing what that term was. I was just finding bands in my local world. And I was like, these bands are incredible. Why does no one know about them? So it kind of was very organic in that way. And I, you know, would put them in the studio with friends and get better songs. And so really, it's finding a band, finding talent, finding whatever, and developing it into something that you really can take into the world and hopefully grow as a career and you know the A&R side of it focuses more on the songs and the music and the production rather than you know the touring and sometimes marketing but in our world in the indie label world you kind of all wear all those hats together so it's kind of fit in with the artist development thing of hopefully getting them on the right runs and tours and you know marketing and all that different stuff combined but it's finding and nurturing and developing talent as a short answer. I was going to ask 
a lot of people that I know that are in A&R say that A&R has changed a lot over the last 10 to 15 years. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, now, I mean, it used to be, I hear stories and I've worked with people who've done it for well longer than I have. And they're, you know, pre-internet, I can't even imagine how it worked, I guess, because I was, <laughs> you know, semi-raised on it through junior high and high school and beyond. You know, they'd hear about a band from a promoter and they'd have to go and fly out. That was the only way, you know what I mean? You'd, you'd call and you'd say, what's up? I'm coming out. When's your next show? And you'd go. That was it. You know, it's like such a very cut and dry black and white thing. Whereas now, I mean, you know how it all goes with, you know, <laughs> yeah. all of the, the YouTube and this and that and who's faking it, who's not, who's actually selling tickets, who's, you know, got great songs, whatever. So it's like there's a million different avenues, which is a good and a bad thing, I guess. But if you can kind of work through the shit, you usually find out, you know, the good stuff and have trusted ears out there and friends with promoters. So so-and-so in Oklahoma City selling 300 tickets, you should come check it out or have a conversation. So I think it's all about the network that you're in. And it's changed, but it also just has gotten better in my eyes, easier in that sense. One thing I've noticed, I think a trend that's sort of arising, and this I think is a, a side effect of the internet. Well, not really a side effect, maybe a, a feature of the internet, but it allows us all to connect and communicate from a distance. Sure. And so I think one of the things that you see happening a lot more is a lot more connections taking place in the songwriting process, things that wouldn't normally or ordinarily happen. You know, maybe somebody who writes music in L.A. is connecting with a band from Maine sure. who has members in the U.K. And so you've got this crazy thing where I think there's a lot of music being made collaboratively and not so much, you know, it used to be three or four or five dudes got together and they would write their own music. But now I feel like there's really not very many bands that write their own music. They'll, there's a lot of outsourcing going on and there's a lot of collaborative writing going on. Sure. And I'm just curious, what is your opinion on that in the early stages before you've had a chance to come in and situate the you know, the process as an A&R. Yeah. I mean, I kind of see it both ways. Some bands, you know, don't need it and create some very special thing on their own. And that's what made them special. You know, it's kind of like the term you have your whole life to make your debut record. You can only make yeah. it once though. So it's like, <laughs> you know, when to me though, like when I used to be an A&R dude at Feel by Rama and there was times when bands would come to us and be like, can you just plug us in with these songwriters? And it's like, well, you're not even a band. Like, why, what, what am I signing? I'm signing the songwriter songs with you singing them, you know? So there's got to be <laughs> something special about a band. But, you know, I, I'm all about the songwriter helping take it to another level or finding the strength and pulling something out of an artist. But the artist has to be there and it has to be somewhat organic or else to me it's, you know, the whole American Idol style world of it, which, again, is not you know, something negative, but that's just not the world I've lived in for a long time. But I think it's cool when bands take initiative and reach out to songwriters or producers that also write and help organize everything, you know, anything to better themselves if they think that that's what it takes, you know? That's cool. It's actually refreshing to hear because so many times when you're writing songs with bands, sometimes it feels like the opposite way where they come to you and they're like, you know, we don't have anything and we need a single in the next 24 hours. So deliver. And right. you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That whole world is crazy. And I mean, some sort of, I don't understand the time limits on something like that, but that's, that's cool. I mean, whatever a band needs to do to 
you know, get to the next level and get kids out to shows, you know? <laughs> Hurry up and wait, right? That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So would you say that's a now a, a bigger part of the process of sniping out those situations, those uh, shell of a band? Possibly. I mean, that's definitely not the way I look for it. I, I like a band that I can see live and love it pre signing a band so you know i don't know if they're if they went to a writer earlier that's cool but i'm sure there's labels that find a good looking dude that kind of has a cool voice and goes let me build a band around this guy and just plug songs in you know oh i, I guess i meant the other way around like you wouldn't you prefer to find those those special unicorns and not the the eggshells oh absolutely absolutely i mean that's what you know i was kind of born and raised on and fell ass backwards into a, a chicago scene with bands like fall Out boy and academy is who are really earning and working on their own craft before going to producers and writers you know yeah yeah so i think that's a problem now more than ever with you know the internet making it so easy to collaborate right. it's almost like you can't really find the real where are the real people at? Sure. And uh, the interesting thing I think that's starting to emerge is those real people are on YouTube and they're doing their own thing and they don't need anybody mm -hmm. else and they can succeed. You know, you look at someone like Boy in a Band, for example, British guy. He's got like, I think he has like half a million subscribers or something. Crazy. Yeah. It's like he doesn't need a band. Right. He, was, he was in a band, but that just went away when the YouTube thing took over. So... What kind of things do you notice are strengths in YouTube? What's the pros and cons of YouTube right now? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, the details of it are pretty crazy. But I mean, if a band, like, I think every band's trying that same thing of like, let's just do a cover per week thing and build our following and this and that, which is cool. But it's also like, to me, as a music fan, like, so boring. And I just, <laughs> yeah. And I just hate like, a new, you know, a new band comes out and they're like, well, what do we do to fill our time? It's like, to me, I liked back in the day when bands would take you into their practices or their live show and like show them, not like you covering the new Rihanna single. Or you know what I mean? Like so <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a way to build following and who am I to say because it's worked for bands. I mean the band Our Last Night was on Epitaph and didn't do that well and now they do covers every week to, you know, a stupid number of people that they're a way bigger band than they ever were because of that. So they found it and used it as a vehicle to create and they now they're doing well with tickets and their originals and all that stuff. So it does work, but I just, you know, to me, I just get really bored with that kind of thing. But, you know, there's vehicles for it all. And if you have a guy in your band that's really good at video stuff, you already have a crazy leg up on all these other bands that are really bad on YouTube, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about the organic route or the more traditional route of a band kind of breaking on their own. So if you were starting a band, because I feel like there's always been this wall between our side of the industry and a lot of upcoming bands. Because like when I played in a band, there was no information. You had to convince a manager that you were good enough and then they would tell you how to build your band, create a brand, etc. And then either you take the advice and they pick you up and you do something and right. get investment or you flop and you know play bars for the rest of your life. Right. So. If you were giving advice to a band that was just starting out and they wanted to do it for real and they were serious and they had, you know, the right imaging and you just all the right calculus mm -hmm. that was needed to make a really great band, what advice would you give them on the first day they got together and decided to make that band? Well, I actually have this conversation probably 10 times a week, so it's pretty fresh. Um, <laughs> it, you know, to me, it's, it always boils down to the song. Like a great song goes so much further than a great image or a marketing scheme or whatever. So... You know, having the song 
sometimes it's really hard to get there for certain people. You know, it's a skill. You know, certain people try to write a song because they picked up a guitar last year. It's obviously not going to be as good as a guy that's been trying to write a great song for 20 years. So, you know, it's honing in on that skill. And I think it's cool if you can find a guy that you can get to that you can, you know, have access to with a producer slash writer, whatever it may be, to bounce ideas and learn. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with learning how to, you know, brush up on your chops and get better at songwriting. So I always think collaborating with people is a great idea if you are hitting a wall or whatever you're doing. You know, again, it's just, it's that song. Like, I always try to tell people to reverse engineer what their favorite bands did. Like, go back and listen to their first records and then the jump to the second record. Like, what did they do better? What did they do differently? Did they stop, you know, fiddling five and a half minute songs and whittle it down to three and they just really honed in on the parts? Like, what is it doing? Like, I think there's a way to do it. Or some people are just special enough that, you know, they get in a room and they write, rip three songs real quick and you're like, whoa, I think we're onto something here, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Content is king. That's right. You know that more than most, my friend. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I know I've had my fair share of people coming in here with what I thought would be, you know, six original songs, but it's it's six songs written with this other guy right. who also was co-writing with this other dude. And so then you get like, you know, you get a bunch of dudes that don't really even understand the song that they own. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> song in a box yeah song in a box so it really causes an interesting challenge for me as a producer because i feel like i'm like not working with the actual person right i'm working with a person who's playing the song that they just know <laughs> so do you find that as is that ever a challenge like do you find that some record label artists don't really understand their own sound and constantly having to work with outside sources? And, and does that become, a, I guess, a, a downhill slope? Yeah, I, I think sometimes it does. I don't find myself running into that all too often because, like, you know, I, like I said, I like to get out and see it firsthand before I can just say, like, okay, I'm signing you. You're going in with these 10 songwriters the best 10 songs win for the record and we move on from there. Like to me, like I were, I were, I'm signing a band for the band. So I don't think that, you know, it works that way until, you know, record three or four, if you're going to a big label and you're like, Hey, your A&R guys, like I need a song I could take the radio or else you're shelved. That's a different kind of aspect of it all. Then you go to the butch walkers and big guys that just churn out hits. Whereas on the level I'm working on for equal vision, I want a band that really is, you know, has a voice and a vision and a passion for what they're doing to where they couldn't do, like if I put them in with a room with someone that didn't fully believe in their passion, they would get up an hour into it and go, you know what, this isn't even working. Let's go right in our garage again. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's great. That's the kind of vibe I always want. I mean, if I can't stand up and be proud of a band that I'm working with, then, you know, why am I working and we're investing money and time and effort? And, you know, there's a million bands out there that want it more than that. So you just find, you got to find those, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So where do you look? Because now, now that local scenes are almost yeah. blurred <laughs> yeah. and everything's so saturated and, and noisy, right. where do you find these Academy is and Hidden in Plain Views? Right. Well, I'm in a very fortunate position just for the way that I've built a network and what I do, obviously, on the management side for producers. Like, obviously, the band needs to record their music for me to hear it anyway. So they're going to go to someone. And, you know, I work with 15 guys, so they're clearly having 
new bands in there all the time. So I'll get an email that's like, this kid is insane. You got to hear this music, you know? So I get this nice inside track to some of that, which is cool. You know, other than that, I mean, I work with promoters, agents, managers, anyone and everyone. Like to me, the trusted sources are where it all comes from because they're seeing, I'm in Chicago, you know, I'm not in LA next weekend seeing a band play to 300 kids and it them lose their minds. So someone is though, and hopefully the person that sees it, I have a contact with that says, you got to see this band, you got to figure it out and put out this record, you know? So to me, it's all about relationships and network, you know, being in a million places at once because I have trusted people all over the place for the last 15 years that know I'm going to take care of them if they bring me a band that I'm like, oh, I have to have this, you know? So, and it's also managers that want their bands on Equal Vision to where they're bringing them going, "Here's here's a band I'm picking up, here's their story, these are the two best songs, check it out, let's get on the phone if you dig it, and then get you out to a show. And that's the process. So let me switch gears a little bit because I'm thinking about our viewers and how they look at the industry. And I think a lot of them are in that weird space where they don't quite have a manager yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about producers and engineers. They don't necessarily have an engin- uh, a manager yet. They're not sure if they want to move on to one. Right. They're not really sure what the manager would be doing for them, but they hear about other people having managers and it makes them you know, wonder about it. And I think we've answered the question in a lot of different ways over the span of this show. However, uh, I'd like to get your unique outlook on on having a, a manager or being a manager for a producer or a set of producers. Can I throw one quick question into that? Is yeah. how a producer coming up, because you know, there's so many of them listening to the show, how they would go about even approaching somebody like you to pick mm-hmm. them up as a manager? Yeah, so let me hit that. I basically, you know, coming to me is one thing, so that's cool. Like I... I think that a producer manager to me is I like to sum it up with saying the guys I represent, I want them to be able to focus on strictly the studio work. And, you know, if they want to do their marketing and this and that on the side, that's cool. But I want to take away all of the busy work, all of the paperwork, all of the negotiations, all of those things, the scheduling to where you're in the studio and we're going back and forth and talking all the time with, yo, so-and-so wants to do this record in January. This is the amount of money. This is, the, this is the plan with it. Are you in? Are you out? Do you want more? Do you want, you know, how, do, how are we going to do this? So basically funneling all the information through me to make it digestible for a producer that's you know, working long hours in the studio and doesn't have time to keep up sometimes with the new bands and the new labels and the contacts and relationships that I might be kind of having conversations with all day, you know, 10 times a week talking to these different labels. So that's kind of what I like to sum up the management part as. The, the finding a manager part is very difficult in the sense that I don't know a ton of them. I don't know if there are a ton of them because that's kind of the reason I felt I wanted to get into it because I learned the A&R side from the label side of it for 10 years. And I kind of saw all these producers, you know, either really long lags in conversation where they weren't getting back right away. So they're missing out on jobs not really negotiating all that much, not getting taken care of in that sense, kind of just getting an offer and taking it or leaving it, you know what I mean? Or not responding to it at all because they didn't see it because they don't check their email or phone all that much. (laughs) So that's kind of crazy. But, you know, I kind of saw a need for it. And there was all these people I worked with. So I said, forget this. Like, I'm just going to handle them. I understand the business on that side of it. So I know the wiggle room. I know the how it all works and getting it all situated. I'm going to pick up these guys that I really believe in. Most of them are my your friends and let's just get it all done together so coming to me as a you know a producer unless there's a lot of like 
you know, I have a lot of free time at that time, or, you know, there's a value that we could both really see in it and build the company together. It would be really tough for me. You know what I mean? Cause I got promises yeah. out to all these guys and I can't pick up five new guys. Then five of my first clients are like, well, what the hell now I'm not getting records, you know? So it's like the agent who's got 20 bands yeah. and only three of them are on tour and three of them are making money. And then everybody else is like, well, why can't you get me on any tours? And it's like, well, <laughs> exactly. It's the same old thing. I mean, we all got 24 hours in a day, so it's like, I can't do more than I can do. So I think just finding someone that's semi-experienced in it, that understands that, can help you, that's plugged into labels or whatever it is, you know, it just depends on what that producer wants. And I know it's easy for all those producers to say, oh, I want to focus on label mixes and this and that. It's like, okay, but what have you done to get to that point? What would an A&R guy at Fearless Records, why would he give you the shot over these guys that would do, that have done 20 of those records? And everyone needs to start somewhere, and I love giving guys their first chance and all of that stuff. So I'm just trying to reverse engineer it for them to be like, how do you get to the point where you're their first call or at least on their call sheet at all, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people managing producers and they're coming from unexpected places. I mean, my manager was uh, the owner of Rise Records for a while. Yeah. So you're finding people that are fitting into the industry in different ways. A&R dudes, label owners, managers that manage bands, Maybe even booking agents. I don't yeah. know. There's probably a lot of a melting pot of sure. of people doing this. So I think when you start to realize that the business is getting in the way of the creativity, maybe that's a good opportunity to determine if you need a manager or yeah. not. That's a perfect way of putting it. And you know that more than most that, you know, when you got to a point where you don't want to deal with that little stuff. And sometimes you can't be the bad guy on negotiating a record because then the band comes in and is like, well, why are we paying this dude this much? You know what I mean? Just yeah. to break it down to yeah. business terms. I don't want there to be any sort of uncomfortable, you know, vibes in a studio. I want it to be very clear cut. I was the guy that handled this. Go in the studio, make your record, get excited. Yeah, sometimes having that third party to negotiate and mediate is everything um, for the vibe and for the, the relationship creatively. Because if you do the negotiating yourself as the producer, you sort of have this like chip on your shoulder, especially if things don't go your way. <laughs> I, could, I could imagine. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I haven't had a manager for a while. We've parted ways mutually just because I started to become so engrossed in my entrepreneurial endeavors and uh, started to learn so much about business that it just didn't make sense to he- let somebody else run it for me. Sure. So I don't think it's right for everyone, but I think there's a lot of people out there that just want to go into the studio and make music and they don't want to worry about taxes and they don't want to worry about, you know, how much money they're going to make and how much they need to pay for this and how can they, you know, what's the best strategy to buy gear so that I can write it off and do depreciation over a period of five years and (laughs) all the things. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a, there's a whole line of, of things to worry about when you're a business owner. Um, So I think that's why it makes sense 
to have someone like a manager come in and handle all that, especially in the for producers. I want to also add real quick that I feel like there's a very clear distinction between what I would consider good managers and bad managers. And I've had both. I've gone through many different managers in my career and I'm kind of a mercenary now. Like I work with a bunch of them and they send me work, I send them a check. Right. And it's, it's nice because they all work and specialize in different markets and genres. So they're connected in certain places that the other guy isn't and they draw from work from those different pools. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. But having a bad manager is really, really difficult. And I feel like reflecting on the experiences that I've had with a few people, I don't want to say any names because that would it'd be inappropriate, <laughs> but um, you got to really feel out somebody's character before you kind of get in bed with them as a business partner. It's like any business, you know, picture it like this. You're going to have somebody else move into your studio and be your assistant or to move across the hall. And so treat it like that when you're approaching a manager, you know, really sit down, go and have lunch with the guy, hang out with them, you know, go to a show, whatever, yep. get to know the person first and make sure that they're a good fit for you. And you think that they're going to be an honest person and they're going to work hard for you. Um, because if they don't, you'll be full of surprises like, hey, dude, you know, what's going on yeah. and you know you can't get a hold of them on the phone or whatever. Now that being said, great managers will keep you so on your toes and busy that you know it's it's really really exciting. Right. So I've I've been on both um, both sides of the coin definitely. Cool. And I also think when you're looking for, for if you're talking to a manager and they have a, a roster, reach out to those other clients. Like it's the easiest like honest feedback because of course if a client's going to say, oh dude's a dickhead, never gets me shit, <laughs> you're not going to work with them. You know and like. Uh, you know, in this world, it's all reputation. Like, if you asked any of my clients, I would, I wouldn't even think twice that they would give you a good recommendation. And if they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't be working with me still. You know what I mean? Like, I don't do contracts, none of that stuff. Like, if you don't want to be represented by me, that's totally cool. Good luck. You're a great, dude. Move on. You know what I mean? So it's all good. That's sweet. I've always liked handshake deals, and I I get the need for contracts. Like, sure. I know Joey, you you're a big contract guy. You love contracts, but I've always liked the handshake deal because it's like. There's, some, there's a certain level of integrity on a handshake where you're just like, listen, I'll take care of you, you take care of me, let's kick ass together. And as long as you can both hold up your part of the bargain and keep each other accountable, it's not a problem. Now, that being said, unfortunately, not everybody in the world yes. has that level of integrity. Sure. Understood. And I, yeah, I've had to do contracts before. If the producer got a little goofy here and there, and then you stop working <laughs> together, you know? So it's all good. Definitely. So talk to us about noise creators. So you're creating a marketplace for producers. So we've had Jesse on the show yes. and we love Jesse. Jesse's an awesome dude Absolutely. and really cool to talk to. So kind of, you don't have to disclose anything that you don't want to because it's not out yet, but feel free to cool. share with us what your mission is uh, for noise creators and, and explain what it is to people. Absolutely. So it's basically, like I said, I don't feel like there was an easy way for a band, especially in a, you know, not a big city or anything to find the producer that worked on such and such records. So for me, I wanted to just kind of create a marketplace for it. And I also, you know, since managing a bunch of producers, I always want to just continue to educate about them and put them in front of people that are, should be looking for them or find other ways to get them in front of them. So the marketplace idea came when I was like, you know, how do, how did these bands find producers? Cause you know, they'll go to the guy down the street just because he's down the street, you know? So I wanted <laughs> to kind of figure out a way to be like, Oh, I want to be able to search by my favorite artists, my favorite records, my favorite record labels. Like if, you know, if you searched rise, like Joey, you'd be all over the damn place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I wanted to find like that to where I can kind of like really help a, an artist just bounce around a site and figure out, who worked on these records, and then there's someone there. 
that's a major problem. Cause I'll give you an example. All music has probably one tenth of the things I've worked on yes. in my career that could be, uh, that could, and I should say should be on allmusic.com. And it's really irritating cause I feel like it's a crap shoot sometimes, no matter how much of a punisher I am with the label. I'm like, this needs to be credited, blah, blah, right. blah, blah. I make 20 phone calls and irritate everybody. And it still doesn't get done sometimes. Exactly. And that's the exact thing. Like wh- where does someone even go? It's like Wikipedia or all music and none of that is, unless you're really good at Wikipedia and staying on top of it and all that stuff, you know, it's usually not that great. So these guys all have their own site. So I wanted to kind of link all that together basically and have someone be able to go there, you know, and and just really learn about these guys. And we're doing like a podcast episode with each guy that's on the site. So you can really dive in and learn about how they work, how they got their start, what they like to do, what's their favorite record that they grew up on, like just stuff to really get to know these people that I think, like I said, there was always been a curtain. And unless you work at a label, you know, most of these guys don't ever get back to you. So it was kind of one of those things to where I wanted to pull it all together and say, Hey, everyone's very strong. If we go together, put it out there, let's see how all of these people can, you know, start learning about you guys and, and all and anyone that needs help and wants help. And you could book straight through the sites. Some guys just want to be on there and get educated for education purposes to do podcasts, features, interviews, whatever it may be. I just want it to be like a big community to where people can come to and learn about who's behind all their records. They can even ask us, Hey, I have this budget. We're from here. Who should we work with? And then we'll kind of go through and we'll throw them three suggestions and say, these are the three I'd reach out to. Do you want us to reach out for you? You know, and kind of be a service for them to go and do it since, you know, most of the people on our site we have relationships with or worked with in the past or vice versa. Yeah, that's cool. There's definitely a disconnect with current social media. I mean, a lot of people use Facebook to find the people you're talking about. Right. But you wouldn't have created the site if that was efficient. So it it is incredibly inefficient in some ways. There are some communities on Facebook. Right. For example, Joey Sturgis Forum, where you can, you know, find people like me or people related to me. Other communities like Chango or Pensado's Place, where you can kind of get the lowdown on what's right. going on in the under, you know, in the world of behind the scenes. But it, it, you know, I guess no one's really approached it the way that you're doing it, and it's uh, it's really interesting. The other thing about all music is, um, I'll say. It really depends on the team. I feel like the people who are setting the record up, you know, assigning the um, the intellectual property and setting up the songs and doing all the liner notes and all that, uh, I think that determines the quality of where it ends up on the internet. Because I've noticed the good teams, it's always there. It's always right. It's correct. It's there. Shows up on time. The half-assed teams or the guys that don't really know what they're doing or running management companies out of their apartments. Those are the times where the credits don't end up on (laughs) (laughs) allmusic.com. Or they line up wrong and you're listed under something you didn't do. And it's like, oh my God, why even be up here? Or they morph your name with your assistance and (laughs) give it a credit, like some hybrid human mix the record. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> it makes me so angry. <laughs> so yeah, that, I, I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate what you're doing there, and uh, it's going to be really cool. What cool. do you think about the? Um, I guess the. There's this whole thing that I I kind of wanted to talk about where, I kind of think that pricing and quoting is is still a a matter that needs to be handled behind closed doors, and and I'm I'm curious what your take is on that. Yeah, I kind of see it 
in an interesting light. Like I do think that certain producers, that is definitely the way it has to go. Like if you're on a level to where you don't want to put a rate up on there that says, yeah, I need $3,000 a song. Then everyone thinks you're a dickhead. So <laughs> I'm not like there's, but there's guys that are like, I need, I want to do, you know, I'll do a song for 500 bucks or 750, you know, and I live in wherever. So, you know, location matters on certain stuff like that. But I do think a lot of negotiating does happen behind the scenes and will happen behind the scenes. I think what the site's going to provide is, like I said, the educational side of it and really then be like, wow, I, I mean, that's, that's his rates and that's what he's charging. Like if someone emailed me and asked for, you know, Ascender's rates, I'm going to tell them the same thing that's on the site. You know what I mean? So for it to be public or not public, they could get it out of me in one email anyways. So I don't think that, you know, some of it certain, like I said, certain producers on certain levels totally understand. And, but there's guys that are just willing to like, you know, yeah, this is what it is. This is what I get paid per day. And if you want to roll that way, or if you're asking me to do more in a shorter period of time, I'm obviously going to charge more because I'm not working eight, 10 hour days. I'm working 15 hour days to get this thing done in two weeks. So, you know, I do think there's a lot of wiggle room in it, but that's kind of what I'm preaching to the producers on the site is set a rate that you're comfortable with. And the other thing, the beauty of the site is a producer side of it. You don't have to accept any jobs that ever come through it. It could serve as just an educational tool, and you could just say like, oh, no, I don't want that, or up my rate, lower my rate, whatever you want to do, it's all going to be custom for each person. So it's going to be fairly like in their hands how they want to be perceived, or if they don't want the price on there at all, and it's just like, reach out here, so be it. That's cool, too. I think the there's two distinctions that I want to put out there. One is that I do think that the the email situation that you mentioned is still different because I think it's a valid way of discussing the the rate of of who's qualified to provide those services and it prevents a comparison process which is the second distinction I wanted to make. Do you believe cuz I do that you could potentially cause a bidding war between the the ones that are willing to post their rates and also create some sort of damaging situation between the people who don't want to post their rates versus the ones that do. And the reason why I say that is if I'm online and I'm shopping for something and it's like, let's say I'm shopping for something extremely pricey, right? Like something right. that's in the four or five figures, most of the time, it's not going to tell you how much it costs. It's like, if you have to know, if you have to ask, then you can't afford it. Okay. <laughs> right? I understand. Yeah. So don't, don't you think that there will be a situation where all the people who don't put their rates are going to be losing work to the people who are, are willing to just put it out there? I think the people that won't put their rates on there are doing well enough without it. I'll say. So the, the people that I've run into that don't want their rates on there are the guys that charge more and have consistent great work from labels and, and such, but like the idea of all of their credits being accurate in the same place, searchable, people learning about them, listening to a podcast. So I don't think that it's going to kind of like be a fight more so. And I also think like the thing that plays into it is the quality of work. Like someone that's charging $500 a song is right next to someone charging $1,500 a song, and you could just look down their credits and be like, oh, this totally makes sense. That guy's worked with one band that I've heard of. This guy's worked with 30 bands I've heard of. 
You know what I mean? Like right. I do think that it kind of it ha- it's I see what you're saying, but I also think it kind of works itself out between you know someone looking at it and understanding what it is. That makes sense. I think the credits will really tie that together. Totally. It's the the accolades. You know, what have you done? And show me what it is that makes you worth that amount. So totally. If that's portrayed properly, then you have a winner for sure. Cool. Um, the other approach, I I think you could take too, and I and it's funny because I, I guess I'm critiquing your site and I don't even use it, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is cool. I totally respect that. I keep going. I'm just gonna say that I think it would be interesting to have it be membership based, so that you you sort of have to be a part of the club to know you know, what this guy charges and what that guy charges. It, I guess, um, you know, put the pricing behind a paywall. You don't I know what, what the rates saying. are. Yeah, unless you... Yeah, that's an interesting idea. That way everybody there is serious. However, well, there's pros and cons to that too. I mean, from yeah. a business standpoint, because you have to actually attract people to come to the marketplace right. and then you, <laughs> you have to... Ex- yeah, maybe it's something that gets developed when there seems to be a, hopefully a flood of people coming to it. And yeah, maybe, maybe at a certain point it's like, whoa, we're getting... 30 requests a week for so-and-so, we got to figure something else out because that's not even efficient anymore to go through. So, yeah, yeah I mean, definitely that, that, can, that can happen, and hopefully it can grow into that. But like you're saying, Joel, I think that there's you know, an importance that people got to come and use the site and prove that it's going to be something valuable to these producers to be on it in the first place. You know, so I'd rather give them more opportunity in the beginning and then reevaluate it and say, okay, hang on a second. We need, I'd rather have 500 people that are a part of this rather than 50,000 people just flooding us, whatever it may be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So before we, I, I have a, a question I want to ask you, but before I switch gears, is the site open to people right now? It is not. It's going to launch in the next couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm assuming mid to late November is where we're at. We're going through a couple of last tests and making sure it's all flushed out correctly. Okay. So I think that by the time this episode comes up, this will be out. Cool. How can people find it? And if you're a producer, how can you get involved? Noisecreators.com is the hub and the site. Um, you know, we're on every social media. I think under Noise Creators on every social media, I think we created that. Uh, we didn't have to get any goofy names or anything, luckily. So that's, you know, where it's at and the way to get in touch, you know, right now it's very, uh, you know, we, we handpicked all the guys we wanted on it first to really make a splash and really make the quality there. But there's definitely going to there. Once you get on to the site, when it is live, when this is airing, there'll be in the frequently asked questions and in the contact session, there's a submit. So you could just come to us and we're just going to go through it and we're just going to continually add people as we really get a good feel for the flow and the quality of work and all that stuff. So, you know, that's the kind of other process I wanted to mention is it's not just going to be, there's other sites like soundbetter.com and a few other things that just have thousands upon thousands of producers and it's so muddy. Like when you go to that site, it's just like, whoa, this is way (laughs) too much. I have no idea how to even find someone. Like it's just so much going on. So we wanted to simplify it and have a very curated, you know, group of guys that we know, we trust. If you're paying them to get in the studio with them and we're a part of it, we want to make sure it's going to be the best experience possible because we trust these guys and we know them personally. I think that's a great approach because it kind of takes the concern. Because think about it, you're a band, you're going to do your first record, you're 
picking a producer based off, say, reputation alone, right. but he may, may, may or may not be the best fit for your band. And it's a scary thing, especially when you're going to spend a lot of money. Right. So that at least you have third party vouching saying, yeah, these guys are legit. So whether or not they're the right fit for your band, at least you're knowing you're working with the best of the best. Right. And it's not some guy that's burnt out that's just trying to grab money. Like we know these guys are active and they're always working with or without us being a website. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what we wanted to take and put a spotlight on. Absolutely. So I want to kind of end this episode with, hopefully you have an interesting one here. If you don't, I'm going to, this is going to suck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't suck. <laughs> but I wanted to see, what is the most interesting signing story that you could share with us of a band getting signed? Oh, man. The most interesting, and I don't know what what makes it that, but I mean, the Panic at the Disco signing is just the craziest thing in the world. Like the band literally had two really bad sounding demos that they somehow got to Pete Wentz. And I think it was through a fallout boy message board. I want to say as odd as that is. And he heard him, uh, reached out and said, I love it. Let's meet whatever it is. Met with them literally off of two demos and then we flew out as Fuel by Ramen and met with them and saw them practice. I think they only had three songs at that time. So they played them to us over and over in a practice space. And we just met the kid. And they were kids. I'm saying like 17, 18 years old. Didn't know shit. They were in Vegas. So that was funny because us, we go to Vegas and we're like, wait, you can't even like enjoy Vegas the way we think of <laughs> Vegas. Yeah, you're like children over here. So it was very like... Uh, you know, just a spark in the timing. And I mean, the two songs that they led with made their record and were two of the bigger songs on their record. So I just think that that story to me always resonated that it's song. It's all song based. The band wasn't online. They didn't have a fan base. They didn't have a YouTube. They didn't never played a show yet. Like none of it. It really was a song that we heard and said, fuck it, let's work with this band. Like there's something here. We met them. They're great kids. You, the singers has such a personality. So I like to just always use that story as frame of reference that it's not about all these flashy things or an image or this and that sometimes, even though that band has one of the craziest images and up and down and done weird things for the last 10 years now. But it all boils down to the song, and that's what makes it interesting to me that someone like Pete took the time to listen to a band on a message board. So you never know where it's going to come from. You never know what it's going to be based on if it's going to be a crappy iPhone demo these days or what, and it's the right place. And it's one of the biggest bands of the last 10 years and they're still going, you know? So it's yeah, crazy. I saw, I saw that name um, in the show notes and I was like, I'm pretty sure he's going to say fallout boy. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, classically they're, they're famous for being signed for not ever playing a show. And, right. and I remember when, when it all went down, I, I was there. I remember, reading online people are like i can't believe this band like all the other bands you know i can't yes. believe a, a band that doesn't play shows gets signed and blah 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 like yeah they, we, we dealt with a lot of that which was funny like <laughs> it's such bullshit you sign this band it's like just wait till you hear this record like what they're doing right now is light years ahead of the bands that are out there grinding it and that's nothing against them it's just it's different scenarios for every band and they went and they toured. I mean, they, they worked their ass off once they had to. That wasn't, that's the other thing. People think when you get signed, it gets easy and everyone does their job for you. It gets way harder. It gets way, way harder. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So they could have crumbled right then and there and said, forget this. Like, 
you guys want us to tour, you know, 250 days out of the year. I'm not doing that shit. Like I'm out. <laughs> so. Do you want to do this or McDonald's is hiring? The other thing that didn't hurt was, uh, uh, his voice. Um, yes. Is a, that's a pretty good asset to have there. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's the thing you could hear, you could hear the, the good in what they were doing and you're like, it'll all come together. Just let's get involved. Let's help them. And I mean, we put them right in with Matt Squire, who at the time was making so many records for us and for the, for the genre that we put them in. And then I remember getting the record back and it was divided into two halves, like a straightforward kind of pop electronic half. And then they got really weird on the second half with stuff compared to what they did on the front. And we only released singles off the second half because the band was so against the straightforward pop that they're like, we got to just keep pumping these out. And we're like, dude, these are smashes on the front. They're like, we don't care. We don't want to be known as that band. And to their, you know, I guess it's good and bad. I guess they could have been a bigger band, but they went through so many changes and they're still around, right? So yeah. Yeah. They, they knew what they wanted from day one and that's what's Well, cool. now they're doing the smashes, uh, right. at least it seems like. <laughs> yeah, now they're going song by song and it's it's working. And and the dudes, in the, I mean, now it's just Brendan Singer, really, but I mean, the dude is the nicest guy in the world, if any, if whatever. Like, he deserves all of it. He worked his ass off. He's a talented kid and he's put his time in. Hey, when you were over at uh, Fuel by Ramen, did you work with Steve Robertson? Was he there? Yeah, I did. Steve was a great dude. Oh, I love Steve, oh man. Like, out of all the AR guys I've ever worked on a record, he is by far one of my favorites. And he was super cool, yep. super easy to work with, and just very involved, but in a positive way. Absolutely. He's a, he's a good dude, and he's in it for those reasons, too. Like I said, he finds those bands that actually really want it and doesn't build around it. You know what I mean? So he's he's a great A&R story for a major label because a lot of them, you know, they come and go. He's been there for, I think, 15, 20 years or something crazy like that. So there's a reason. Yeah, definitely. He's kind of, he's had some really legendary signings. Yep. For the people out there that are kind of, you know, they dabble a little bit in producing and this and that, and they're listening to this podcast and they want to get into maybe being an A&R guy or something like that. How would you do that? Yeah, that's another tough one. It's basically, you got to find, you got to prove your worth. You can't just apply for an A&R job. You know, it just doesn't work like that. It, you have to prove your worth. You have to say, this is what I've done. These are the bands I've found. And do like I was finding bands and no one gave a shit about them. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to make my own label, prove it to the world that I'm going to do this. I knew no one in music when I started. I didn't know I wanted to work in music. I just liked music, you know? So put out records. People started to be like, whoa, this is great. And then after two and after three of them, starting to move on to other labels, labels were starting to be like, hey, why don't you just send me bands specifically? It's like, well, I don't work there. You know what I mean? So it kind of fell into it in an organic way. Like I didn't try it. I didn't want, I didn't know I wanted it per se. I just did it and found these bands that I loved. And I was like, other people are going to like these. I know that. So I just kept doing that. And over time, then Fiel Raman, I met John Janik when he flew out to meet Academy Is and said, he said, why don't you move down to Florida and work with me? I can use some help on some records and bring in developing acts and do your thing. And I just did. I worked alongside him and he's one of the most successful in the last 15 years to ever do it. So learning from him was a huge asset. But yeah, I mean, you just kind of got to do it. You know what I mean? You can't wait for anyone else to give you the job. Just do it. Find your own way to do it. Go to shows, find the bands and say, I'll put out your record or I'll help you put out your record or make your record with a producer with you and I'll pitch it to labels. Like you just got to have a track record per se that they would trust you to bring them record. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing advice. It's very similar to what we would recommend for guys who want to come up and be producers and do this for a living. 
on our side of the glass. Totally agree. You got to just do it and learn. You got to suck at it for a while. And I, I put out some really bad records when I was 18 years old that you've never heard of. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I got, and then it's, it's about the successes though. And you kind of keep le- doing what you learn is working and you do it again and you get better at it. And then you say, man, now I'm hitting these two, three in a row. This is awesome. You know, and I'm sure that's like record making too. I'm sure you yeah. have records you're not really telling people about these days. And yeah, <laughs> you started to get in a hot streak and learn them and go, damn, I figured it out. I'm doing this great consistently. We all have an entire hard drive of those that exists in an <laughs> ether locked and keyed so the rest of society can't hear it. <laughs> understood, understood. For those of you out there listening, uh, and if, if you haven't encountered an A&R guy, I'll just say that... Uh, the difference between a good and bad A&R is night and day uh, on a project because they can completely change. I've done a project before where the A&R people were completely, they were opposite of what the band wanted to do and what I right. wanted to do. And it was a nightmare. It was like, you know, revision after revision of weird, like, do this, do that. And it's like, that's not what we're trying to do. And right. it really ruins the experience with a, an experimental A&R or a bad A&R uh, scenario. It just depends on where the label's at and where the band's at and what they're trying to accomplish. So I'll say, you know, if you get a good A&R, just count your blessings and, and treasure what you have. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's so I, true. I, I dig that. You're, I mean, yeah, you're right. Sometimes their own agendas are pushed. And, you know, I've been on the other end of the glass doors in those A&R meetings at major labels that are like, we need a band that sounds like this. And then that's the job. you got to go find one. That's what they do. And then, yeah. then you fit into their mold of, we need a band that sounds like Paramore now. Go find that. And then people bring 30 terrible bands that kind of sound like Paramore. Then they find the one they like, and then they plug it in with all their songwriters and go, cool, now we got that band. What's next? You know? So again, there's a lot of like the the stupid shit that goes on where I like the other end of it. And I like signing a band because they're a good band and they want it. They want to be a good band. They don't want to just, oh, tell us what songs to write and then I'll get them written for you. You know, that's, that's not the world I live in. Yeah. So if people want to check out Self-Titled Management, where do they go? Self-TitledMGMT.com um, is the main su- the main hub. I don't have really any social media outside of my own because I am the full company. So if you, you know, want to get in touch with me, go to the site. My email's on there. Reach out whenever. And uh, hopefully by the time this episode goes up, Noise Creators is, is out in the open. NoiseCreators.com. Johnny, thanks so much for your time and thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I love all your work and what you're doing here. So this is awesome educational tool you got out to the world. So props to you guys for doing it. Thank Thank you so much. Thanks, Johnny. Cool. Thanks, Doc. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite sound is everything. Visit Focusrite.com for more information. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit URM.academy slash podcast and subscribe today. 